0: The Rasmussen Group in America does a daily tracking poll about elections. But they also survey Americans every week on a lot of issues. And one of the polls they put up every other week asks Americans how they feel about the country. Are we headed in the right direction or the wrong direction? And uh, the most recent polling said that 66% of Americans believe our country is moving in the wrong direction. What's interesting is that for quite some time, Those numbers have stayed pretty steady, fluctuating between 60 and 70%. Thus, a majority of Americans are increasingly worried about the future of our country and worried about almost everything. So let's take our own survey for just a brief moment. How many of you are worried about the future of this country? Raise your hand. All right. Uh, I, I think we represent in some ways... Uh, how a lot of people in this country feel that that things are 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 not going in the right direction. But here's the question I want to ask: What are you and I supposed to do about it? As followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, how are we to to react? How are we to go about living? And that's what I want us to talk about today. So I invite you to open your Bible to the Old Testament minor prophet Zephaniah. Now, if you're not familiar with Zephaniah, he's the fourth book from the end of the Old Testament. So near the the end of the Old Testament, Zephaniah, as we continue this study of the minor prophets. And uh, on on the screen, while you're turning there, I want you to look at the next slide, which is the timeline that we've been using during this sermon series because you'll remember that um, about 930 B.C. after the death of King Solomon, the uh, the people of God, the nation of Israel, experienced a civil war, much like we did in our country over a century ago. And their country split in two, and it stayed, remained as two nations. The northern kingdom, known in the Old Testament as Israel or Samaria. The southern kingdom, known in the Old Testament as Judah. And over time, they had a series of kings, some good, some bad, more bad than good, the people increasingly strayed from God. God would send His prophets. The minor prophets are the ones in small print, the major prophets in all capital font, and the reason they're called minor and major is what? How long the books are. It has nothing to do with how important they are or how important their message was. It's how big is the book that's named after them in the Old Testament. So the big ones, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, etc., Ezekiel, major prophets. The other, shorter books, fewer chapters, Minor prophets, God sent these prophets to tell the people that uh, God was going to judge them if they didn't repent, that God loved them and wanted to bless them and bless their future. And for the most part, they didn't listen. This was especially true in the northern kingdom. And so last Sunday, we looked at the minor prophet Micah, who said that Israel, the northern kingdom, had reached the point of no return that there was nothing they could do to avoid the judgment of God because it had gone on too long and gotten too bad. And so he was alive in 722 B.C. when God used the Assyrian Empire to destroy the northern kingdom. But he was preaching to the southern kingdom of Judah as well, and King Hezekiah led the nation in a revival, a renewal of devotion to the God of Israel, and, and things changed. And so judgment was averted In 722, on the southern kingdom of Judah. God protected them. God rescued them. There was a spiritual awakening, a spiritual revival. Now, today, we're going to jump ahead. We're going to jump ahead about seven decades. And we come to the prophet Zephaniah. The spiritual revival that had happened 70, 80 years earlier under Hezekiah has faded, it's a new generation new leaders things have changed and now they've reverted back to the bad ways worshiping pagan gods being immoral corrupt in their business practices all of those things we pick up zephaniah's story in chapter 1 verse 1 when the bible says the word of the lord which came to zephaniah and then it lists his Father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather. Notice his great-great-grandfather was Hezekiah, that king under whom the revival had taken place 70, 80 years earlier. And so it's during the days of Josiah, the king whose who's, 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 uh, who's king that uh, that um, Zephaniah is preaching. And what's interesting, Josiah was also the great great grandson of hezekiah so they're cousins zephaniah and josiah they're cousins and when josiah becomes king and zephaniah is preaching things are a mess because after the death of hezekiah their great great grandfather the kings were evil and turned from god and one of those in particular Manasseh left Josiah a mess. Look at verse five. Manasseh ruled 55 years. This was Josiah's dad, and here's what he inherited. Verse five: Those who bow down. Now, God, God is speaking through the prophet. Zephaniah and says, I'm going to judge you because of these things. I'm going to judge the people who bow down on the housetops to the host of heaven. And those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by uh, Malcolm, or your Bible may say, Moloch. Now it's just a brief description. But what was going on when Josiah, as an 8-year-old boy, becomes king, when Manasseh, his father, who had been king 55 years, And led the country astray. When Manasseh dies and Josiah becomes king at eight years. And Zephaniah begins preaching. The country has been influenced for decades by the leadership of the previous kings. And in particular Manasseh. He mentions in verse 5 they go to the rooftop and they bow down to the the host of heaven. Now that's not God. In verse 4 he mentions Baal. At the end of verse 5, he mentions Malcolm, or your, I think the NIV has it, um, uh, Mollet. What they were doing was they were worshiping the gods of the Canaanite people, all, all the countries around them, the, the people who had lived there when God brought the Jews into the Promised Land. And then the neighboring nations, they, they worshiped these gods, and, and, and the Jewish people began worshiping them. Now, here's the thing. They did not stop worshiping the God of Israel. For instance, they would go to the to the rooftop of their house. They would go to um, they would go to a place of worship, and they would still swear to God. They would worship God, and at the same time, worship these other gods. Baal was the primary, the main god of the of the region. He was he was the sun god. Asherah was the the moon goddess, and she she often they, they would carve a statue like a, a, a tall pole out of a tree. It was a, a figurine of a woman because she was the fertility goddess, the, the moon goddess. And Moloch, Molech here, he was, he was the fire god. And they would sometimes sacrifice humans as an act of worship to that god. And so what we, we, we read, when you, when you go back to the book of 2 Kings, because in 2 Kings we learn the story of Manasseh. In chapter 21 of Second Kings, it, 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 it's described in detail. And here's what Manasseh, this, this king, did. Now remember, Hezekiah had gotten rid of all the idol worship and brought about revival. But Manasseh, when he becomes king, and, and this is the king under which Zephaniah would grow up. It's the king that, that was, was on the throne when Zephaniah was a teenager and a young man. And it's, it's what he saw all those years before God called him to be a prophet. And what Kings, tells, Kings tells, tells us about Manasseh, the king, this evil king, was that when he became king, he, he built high places, places of worship, shrines and altars throughout the whole country and all over the city of Jerusalem for people to worship these three pagan gods I just mentioned. In fact, he built an altar to each of them in the temple courtyard. He put a carved pole, a statue, an idol of Asherah, that that moon goddess, that fertility goddess, he put it inside the temple building. And he worshipped and served those pagan gods. Manasseh sacrificed one of his sons to that fire god. And others in Israel did the same thing. He practiced witchcraft, sorcery. He consulted with mediums and spiritists about the future instead of seeking God. And in time, the people gladly followed his lead. And for 55 years, he influenced the culture, he influenced the nation to the point that it was an absolute mess when he died and when Josiah became king. And so God raises up this prophet Zephaniah and sends him to the nation. And even though a century earlier, God's judgment was averted because they repented, Zephaniah's message is that judgment is now coming. Look at verse 4. God speaking says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah, the southern kingdom, and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. God says, I'm going to judge the nation because they've turned their back on me. And they're not following me. And they they were apathetic. Now, when when they would hear Zephaniah preach, they they just wouldn't pay any attention. It it just didn't phase them. It didn't move them. They They didn't pay any attention to it. Look at verse 12. He says, it will come about at that time at the judgment. When God judges Judah. That I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men. In other words, he's going to shine a, a spotlight on the city. and He's going to judge them. He's going to punish them. The, why? Because they are stagnant in their spirit or complacent. Who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good or evil. They were saying, they, they'd listened to Zephaniah preach and, and they, they, they were so apathetic. They were so complacent. They were, they were so emotionally just scared. Stagnant, that they said, God's not going to do anything. God's not, God's not going to do anything good. He's not going to help us. He's not going to bless us. God's not going to do anything bad. He's not going to punish us. He's not going to judge us. In other words, God was a non-entity to them. God's just not going to do. God's just not going to do anything. And isn't it true that sometimes in our own spiritual lives we, we get to the place that It's like, yeah, we kind of know God's out there, but we don't think about him a lot because we know he's not going to do anything. That's what we say to ourselves. God's not going to do anything. Apathetic to the message of God. Sounds like America today. Well, most of us are worried, and most Americans are worried about the future of the country. Most Americans are not worried about what God might do in the future. Don't even care about what God will do today. Most Americans really don't have much interest in hearing what God has to say about anything. And the truth is there are a lot of us who go through our daily lives not really paying much attention to what God says to us. A country becoming less christian Every day, in fact, the trend now is to say what? Well, what does it matter? All religions are the same. It's all these, you know, there's all, all kinds of ways to get to, to God. And you, do you know what's, what's frightening? Is that a growing number of people who go to church say that. There's some people in this room, I don't know who it is, but I know there are people in this room who in the deepest recesses of their heart think, you know, there's, there's, there's other ways to get there. I'm not giving up on Jesus but, but but it's okay to think about these other systems and these other beliefs and these other ways that you know they can work together that's what they were in essence doing we just don't have a car dial; we just do it in our mind and in our hearts increasingly in our country what do you do you keep your religion to yourself you don't speak out because if you speak out it's going to be a problem Because religion is just one of those topics we don't discuss. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to preach on this someday, but let me just give you a little tidbit right now. When we have historically drawn a division between the sacred and the secular, and and an example of that is thinking that this room is more sacred than out there, not understanding that in the New Testament the whole world is sacred because all of it is God's, and this room is no more sacred than your bedroom, Well, the culture has picked up on that now, and they're saying keep the sacred in your heart and quiet and don't talk about it out there in the secular world. And our own mindset has unintentionally contributed to the persecution of Christian beliefs in this country because we've grown that line. Not understanding that my entire being is devoted to Jesus Christ 24 hours a day wherever I stand. And I'm never on one place that's more sacred than another place because everywhere I am is God's place. We created part of the problem. Unintentionally, but we did it. That's preview of a future sermon. So what are we supposed to do? I mean, we are where we are, right? When Zephaniah was preaching, they were where they were. We are where we are as a society. We are where we are as a culture, as as a nation. What are we supposed to do? Disciples, followers of Christ. What are we supposed to do? Well, Zephaniah described the people and their reaction to the message of God. Here's what I want to suggest. What are you and I supposed to do? The opposite of what they did. Does that make sense? Zephaniah so said they heard the Word of God, here's what they did. <laughs> we do the opposite. If we want the favor of God on our lives, we want the favor of God on this nation, let's just do the opposite of what they did because they did the wrong thing and it didn't work out. Let's just do the opposite, Okay. So let's let's look at what they did, and we'll just flip it this morning, turn it into something positive to show us what we what we're supposed to do, what we need to do. Are you ready? I'm going to run through these real quickly. Here's the first thing draw even closer to Jesus Christ than you are today. Get closer to Jesus than you already are. Don't be satisfied with where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Zephaniah chapter one, verse six. God says judgment is coming on those who have turned aback from following the Lord. Those who have not sought the Lord or inquired of Him. Don't don't turn away. Don't back off. Don't don't retreat and hide. Don't, Don't give up. Don't become pessimistic. Draw draw closer to Jesus than you already are. Listen, do, do you know that what you focus on, what you think about, what you say to yourself determines who you are, how you live? How you respond, how you deal with things, how you approach things. And if if you're focused on everything that's wrong in this world rather than Jesus Christ, guess what? That's going to have an impact on you spiritually, and that impact will be negative. You need to be listen, now can I say this? You need to be reading your Bible more than you watch Bill O'Reilly. That would bring revival to some of you. You hear me? What are you drawing close to? What, what are you putting your heart, give, giving your heart to? What are, you, what are you focusing on? Draw closer to Christ. Seek Him. Draw closer to Him. Number two, listen to God and pay attention to what He says. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 2. Now in in verse 1, God is speaking about the city of Jerusalem, a rebellious, defiled, tyrannical city. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then in verse 2, referring to her as a woman, he says of Jerusalem, she heeded no voice. She wouldn't listen. God sent the prophet. She wouldn't listen. She wouldn't listen. God God speaks to us. Listen, God God loves you so much that He's always talking to you. Are you listening? Are you hearing? You're, You're at work, you're going through your day, and the Holy Spirit, who lives within you as a follower of Jesus Christ, prompts you. Do you listen? You're getting ready to do something. And the Holy Spirit says, stop. <laughs> do you listen? There's, there's an opportunity. And the Holy Spirit says, go. Do you, do you seize it? Speaks to us in worshiping. And and when you come to church, what do do you do? Are you seeking God this morning, wanting to hear the voice of God? And when God speaks to you, what, what do you do? Do you hear it and do you respond? And you say, okay, God, you said it, I get it, I'm going to do it. Or do you just try to get through the morning? Are you hearing Him? You're reading your your Bible every day and hearing the voice of God? Listen to him. Pay attention when he speaks. Here's the third thing. Be teachable. He continues in verse 2 of chapter 3. Not only did she heed no no voice, but she, Jerusalem, the people, accepted no instruction. How how teachable are you? Are, Are you so set in your way? Are you so set in your thinking? Is your heart so hardened you can't hear God and change Are you saying to yourself, you already know it all. You've already got it figured out. Are you you teachable? Are you teachable? Can the Word of God change you? How teachable are you? You still... Do you still have a hunger for the word of God? Still wanting to to learn and not and, and 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 brothers and sisters, not just learning the content, but learning the content in such a way that it transforms you. That it changes your your attitude, that it changes your priorities, that it changes your thinking, it changes your decision making, that, that it's shaping you day after day. And, and none of us ever arrive because every day of our life we have new experiences in which we need to hear the voice of God that day for that experience to know what to do. Are you in Sunday school? Do you go to equipping new classes on Wednesday night? And do you take practical training so you can know how to do the things of God? Are you teachable? Here's number four. Trust God no matter what. He continues in verse 2 say, Not only did she hear no voice, accept no instruction, but she did not trust the Lord. I tell you what, if you focus on everything except Jesus, you're going to be afraid all the time. Okay? Turn off the TV, open your Bible, listen to some worship music, and learn to grow in your faith. You'll be a lot happier. Did you get what I said? What do you trust? Do you think you have to fix everything? Do you trust God? Listen, you know this world has been messed up since Adam and Eve sinned. I mean, think about it. It was so bad, God sent a flood and wiped them all out, except Noah and his family once. That's pretty bad, isn't it? He burned Jerusalem to the ground. Pretty bad. Samaria, the northern kingdom, obliterated. Pretty bad. Do you all understand that sin has messed up this world? So do you trust God or are you afraid? doesn't mean we have to like everything going on, but brothers and sisters, if you're living by fear, you're not living by faith. Trust God, no matter what. I'm going to get up that Wednesday morning, whoever's president, (laughs) the world's still going to be messed up, and I'm still going to trust Jesus. What are you going to do? Number five, take responsibility for your relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 2, not only did they not trust in the Lord, but she did not, Jerusalem did not draw near to her God, reflecting what we just saw in chapter 1, verse 6. You see, I am, listen, Steve Hogg is not responsible for your walk with Jesus Christ. You get that? First Baptist Church is not responsible for your walk with Jesus Christ. I have a role to play. This church has a role to play. Both are important roles. I accept that responsibility. But the person who's going to answer to God for your relationship with Jesus Christ is you. I can't draw near to Jesus for you. I cannot make you draw near to Jesus Christ. This church cannot do it for you. Your parents cannot do it for you. Your best friend who prays for you all the time cannot do it for you. The only person who can do it for you is you. When, when, when you stand before Jesus at the, judgment, at, at the judgment seat of Christ, and there's two judgments the great white throne in which the lost will be assigned to hell, but the judgment seat of Christ at which the Christians will give an account for our living. When you stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ, I will not be the one answering the questions on your behalf. You will. Take responsibility for your walk with Jesus Christ. Stop blaming this, stop blaming that, stop blaming him, stop blaming her. Grow up, man up, woman up, and say, I'm responsible for whether or not I love Jesus, obey Jesus, or serve Jesus. Take responsibility. Number six, revere God. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. God is speaking, and here's what He says. He said, "I, I said, surely... I mean, I've sent the prophets, I sent Zephaniah. Surely she, surely you, surely Jerusalem, surely the people will revere me, accept instruction, so that, so that her dwelling will not be cut off, the judgment won't come, the city won't be destroyed according to all that I've appointed concerning her. But they were eager to corrupt all their deeds God God said I sent my message I sent my prophets I told them what was going to happen I told them what they needed to do I I thought surely they'll revere me surely they'll be teachable surely they'll respond surely they'll listen but now they just wanted to make it worse and worse and worse does that sound like America does that sound like some of us God's not going to do anything. Don't worry about it. Revere God, fear God, reverence God. How do you do that? By doing all the things I've already preached this morning. You don't respect God if you don't listen to Him. You you don't respect God if you're not teachable. You don't respect God if you're not figuring out, trying to trust Him. Maybe not always succeeding, but you're making the effort to trust Him. Then number seven, be eager to do what is holy and right. He said, verse seven, they were eager to corrupt. They, They were enthusiastic about corrupting all their deeds, all their actions. I mean, sometimes you, you, you look at our culture and it's like, man, we're just we're all energized to run faster and faster toward hell. How energized are you to become more holy? To become more righteous? How enthusiastic are you about becoming more godly? Now, I want to make an important point, so please listen. For God's favor to be on America, it will take more than just a few of us turning to God. A revival will require a large number of people turning to God. Now, here's why I'm saying that. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1, Zephaniah was preaching during the days of whom? King Josiah. Now, remember I said when Josiah was 8 years old, he became king? King. He had inherited a mess, decades, almost a century of idol worship, almost a century of turning from God. It had, been over. it had been a century since they'd had revival in that country. Zephaniah was a good king, and he loved God. When he was 18, and we read about it in the book of Second Kings, chapters 21, 22, 23, all through there, when he was 18, he led the nation... In a religious awakening, if you will, he got rid of all the idols and the places where idols could be worshipped. Twenty years later, he died. Next king's evil. And within a decade of Josiah's death, the judgment of God began falling on Jerusalem and Judea. And within two decades of his death, Jerusalem was obliterated. See, when you read the story in Kings, here's what happens. God sent word to Josiah that because he turned to God, the judgment would not fall until Josiah was dead. But it was still going to fall on the people because even though Josiah turned to God, the people did not. Even though Josiah got rid of the idols and the pagan stuff, the people's heart, never changed the preamble to our constitution begins how we the people right in order to establish we the people if you want to, if there's going to be the favor of god on this nation it will take we the people it's not enough to elect the right leader it's not enough to enact the right laws It would take we the people. Now, in case you're discouraged because you don't think we the people will change. I go back to that question I asked at the very beginning. What do we do? Those of us who love Jesus and are seeking to live righteous lives and keep Him with Scripture, what do we do? And now i come to the most important part of this message. One verse I had never noticed until studying for this sermon. Zephaniah, chapter 2, verse 3. Here's what God is saying to the people. Here's what God is saying to the minority who want to love Him, even if the we, the people, never change and the judgment of God comes here's what he says to us seek the Lord all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances you've obeyed him seek righteousness seek humility and perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger you remember last Sunday in Micah, we, we we learned that when the judgment of God falls on a nation, even his own people suffer. Your hiding place, whatever happens in life, will never be in our government. Your hiding place is one place and one place only. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. There's a young mother, has two preschool-aged children. She's a pastor's wife, lives in China. In 2014, she was arrested because the kindergarten that she was leading was using Christian curriculum. That's it. That's why. That, that's all there was to the story as to why she was arrested. She was sentenced to two years in a labor camp. They worked 12 hard hours every day, seven days a week. She shared a 15 by 15 foot cell with 15 other women that had one toilet for all of them. some of them convicted of murder. Arguments were common. Food was sparse. Her husband could visit her once a week, but her children were never allowed to see her. In time, she managed to get a Bible. And she would read it every evening and find encouragement. And it dawned on her one day that she had a unique opportunity to to minister to those other women in her cell. And she started to love them. She taught them Bible stories and Christian songs. And she said, and this is a direct quote, even though I was in prison, I felt like I am happy Because I have the joy from God. Jesus said, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives. If your peace and joy depend on circumstances, you're not ready for this stuff. It comes from that relationship that's eager to seek God and walks in the presence of Jesus Christ. She's, she was released from prison earlier this year. What, what do you and I do? Whatever goes on in this nation, what, what do you and I do? Whatever happens in this world, what do you and I do? No matter what happens in our lives, the same thing. When the rain falls, when the sun shines, the same thing. Keep loving Jesus. That's it. Be faithful to Jesus. Serve Jesus. And what happens, happens. Because it's about Him. It's about Him. It's about Him. Do you understand there are followers of Jesus Christ who are loving Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength today who are already living in a situation worse than we have in this country? Amen. And we think it's too hard to live for Jesus here and now? Wake up! Seek the Lord. Carry out His ordinances. Be righteous. Be humble. And just let Jesus be your hiding place. You remember the Corey ten Boom sermon series last fall? Jesus is the hiding place. Jesus is the hiding place. Jesus is the hiding place. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he adds later, I will fear no evil. Why? You're with me. Your rod and your staff, what do they do? They comfort me. Who's your shelter? In whom and what do you trust? Let it be Jesus. Let's stand.